0: So guys i wanted to re-upload this episode because marketing is so important to any startup and i think tammy does a great job in executing and telling us what exactly is needed in order to grow a business and some of the key ingredients needed to have a strong marketing funnel all right let's get into the episode
1: so especially in an environment where you have not only uh people of diverse backgrounds, but international, you throw international on top of it, it's extremely important. And uh, because whether you are smart and capable, skilled, competent at your job, uh, even if you're the best at your job, if you can't get things done in that particular environment, it doesn't matter.
0: Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand Me Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me the next 30 minutes of your time. I promise it'll be worth it. So today I had the pleasure of interviewing Tammy Nam, who is the COO of PixArt, a Sequoia-backed creative platform with over 100 million monthly active users. A lifetime tech and media industry veteran, Tammy oversees nearly all areas of Pixar's business and operations, including its offices in the US and China. Prior to Pixar, Tammy was the COO of global streaming service Viki, which was acquired by Rukitin in 2014. She was also an executive and marketing leader at innovative consumer tech companies, including Scrubbed, the number one e reading subscription service, and Slide the social entertainment company, which was founded by none other than Max Levchin, who is one of the co-founders of PayPal. Tammy has more than 20 years of experience working with consumer web and mobile brands, including Visa and Starbucks, to grow leadership positions and identify new opportunities. She was named one of the top 25 women to watch in tech by Always On. And after hearing this episode, you'll see just why we break down what it takes to actually grow a consumer brand especially a tech and more specifically an app we also talk about the importance of a brand and telling an awesome story this was a truly great episode and i learned so much from tammy and i hope you guys will too all right let's get into the action So, Tammy, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, Tammy, when you are out and about, how do you introduce yourself to people?
1: Uh, well, I guess it depends on who I'm talking to. I would just introduce myself as Tammy Nam. Um, but if it's an industry setting, I would say I'm um, the COO and CMO of uh,
0: PixArt. PixArt. Well, more, more recently, I guess, that would be your, your uh, introduction.
1: Yeah, more recently.
0: Cool. So before we get into, I guess, the work that you're doing at PixArt and the, I guess, the, the role they brought you in to do and to execute on, I'd like to talk a little bit about, I guess, early life. So you initially studied like journalism at Northwestern University, which is actually quite well known for producing some of the greatest reporters and journalists, right? So was that the route that you wanted to go down initially?
1: Yeah, I actually uh, had the intent of being a writer. I wanted to be some kind of writer. Initially, I was thinking I want to write books, uh, fiction, et cetera. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go down the path of becoming a journalist because that's sort of more of a a practical application of my um, interest in writing. Little did I know that when I got into it, even back then, and when I graduated in 1995, um, the news business, even back then, was uh, experiencing a significant downturn. So the writing was on the wall even back then, especially in the area that I was focusing on, which was print journalism and wow. newspapers. Wow! So it was clear very quickly that there was not going to be much of a future in that. So I decided to move back to California and San Francisco, and I fell into the tech industry, luckily, at a time when it was just I think really starting to take off Um, Mm. on the consumer side, there was a lot of core tech innovation prior to that, but the consumer tech was starting to take off and I loved it right away. It was uh, very smart, very innovative, uh, very challenging. Um, So that's that's sort of how I uh, transitioned from the journalism world to to tech and startups.
0: Right, but before you got into, I guess, becoming quite you know a veteran within the marketing space you didn't initially start off doing marketing did you
1: um no I didn't but what I realized though is that uh what I realized very quickly is that a lot of the experiences in journalism are very applicable to marketing well not only marketing but in, in business in general and in life which is at the core it's about storytelling yeah so how can you tell your story in a way to your audience that's going to resonate and that's going to take whatever action you want them to take whether it's you know buying something or changing a behavior or changing your perception anything at the core it's it's about storytelling.
0: Yeah no that, I t- I totally agree and we actually had someone on last week Gaston who was at Google for a number of years and he literally spoke about the same thing it's all about telling the story. And we're going to get into right. I guess that as well. So then, you get into tech, you start doing um, various roles, and then when did you know that marketing was the thing?
1: I think um, I knew right away, but you know what, marketing—the role of marketing—has evolved quite a bit since I started in tech and startups, which was around 1995. Uh, Back then, because the industry was just really starting to evolve and move into more of this consumer space. Was still it? It is today still dominated by I would say engineers and people with more of a um, engineering kind of product focused background. But back then, marketing really was um, like almost like a four letter word within startups. So there wasn't a lot of perception of value of marketing Mm. um, then. And versus today, where because the industry has matured quite a bit, you you have to figure out ways to stand out from your competitors, from just all the noise out there. So marketing is critically important. Back then, though, I think uh, the the, the industry was just trying to figure out what is marketing. So it was was very different. Um, But regardless, it was a challenge. And um, I knew that whether it was marketing or eventually whether it was operations, I knew that I wanted to stay in tech uh, and in Silicon Valley in general just because of how smart everyone is and how fast moving and how um, dynamic the whole space is.
0: Yeah. So talk to me about your time at um, Principia. Am I saying it right? Principia group?
1: Uh, Yeah, I actually started Principia group um, uh, right around the time that there was a tech downturn. I think it was uh, 1999, something along the, the, uh, 1999, 2000. Um, There was a, so I had just decided uh to um weather the downturn and do my own thing. Um so I was uh started a company that was uh marketing consulting mm. as well as business consulting. So worked with uh primarily consumer mobile companies at the time to help them figure out their market positions, um, their stories, their marketing strategy, their partnership strategy. Um so that, I did that for four years, and it was um, extremely helpful because that was around the time that um, I had two kids, mm. and so it gave me a lot more flexibility.
0: Of course. And so that was basically your first startup, right? Your your own one, I guess. Would you consider that a startup as a consultancy?
1: Um, Yeah, probably, yeah. It was, it was, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it was my first startup, but I consider so many of the companies that I've um, – work for both on the consulting side as well as on the um, inside um, in-house um, startups. You know, uh, even I, even though I may not have technically started the company, it was very much uh, entrepreneurial in mm. spirit.
0: And during the, that time of starting Principa, how what were some of the challenges that you faced? As I guess during that time, you know, and I do want to talk about kind of being a woman in tech during that time. But I guess even just going in on your own, you know, how was that?
1: Um, it's there's always challenges when you're starting something from scratch. So you have to think about everything uh, from the beginning. Uh, what am I what company am I trying to build? Uh, who, who is my target audience? How do I package the product or service in a way that will resonate? Um, how do you manage the business from a financial perspective so that you can not only uh, pay yourself but pay other people who work for you Mm. Um, how do you sustain that model Um, you know how do you develop that kind of that word of mouth engine Um, or are there other marketing tactics it's just it's it's everything so yes I mean it's very much of a startup in that respect that you have to start from scratch and you have to look at everything from a holistic point of view
0: so then when you went from Doing your consultancy, you were kind of like okay. I think I'm ready to go and get you know go somewhere else now. And is that how you partnered with um, Slide?
1: Um, yeah. So I was coming out of uh, wrapping up Principia, and I was introduced to Slide and Max Levchin. Uh, Max Levchin, who's the co-founder of PayPal. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, back then, and uh, went back wanted to go back in house, and um, I really love Slide because not only because of Max Levchin, who's incredibly dynamic, and he's just such a smart guy um, and so you know already had a um, a reputation even you know before he started Slide
0: yeah um,
1: so it was a really great opportunity to get back in and working for someone like Max
0: I mean yeah Mark, Max I think he just everything he starts he sells to Google I feel um, <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean he sold so many companies it's bizarre um, yeah. but uh, yeah no that must have been an incredible kind of opportunity to work with someone of max's pedigree so what was kind of the first thing you done when you joined as marketing director there
1: um the first thing hmm. i think it's it really goes back to that market positioning and that story what are you trying to tell uh the market and who are you trying to uh influence uh, so so much of the marketing communications pr functions um, are about helping companies figure that piece out because even though you have so many smart people all in one place um, a lot of them are so product focused and so feature focused and so focused on uh, beating the competition or whatever else kind of testosterone driven kind of objective there is
0: yeah
1: um, they kind of forget that at the core you really have to figure out, I mean, what kind of company are you and uh, what are you trying to, uh, to do and what, what, what kind of market is there? So a lot of that, I think, is, applies to any company and it definitely did apply to slide. It was you know, taking a step back and trying to figure out what that is. And uh, at that particular time, there was a lot of new things that were going on. Like MySpace was really hot and uh, Facebook was starting to really gain momentum and Facebook had started uh, and opened up their platform similar to what myspace had done at the time uh, to let third-party developers develop on uh, their platform yeah. so it was the first spide was the first company that participated in the um, Facebook f8 conference um, as one of the key developers and max was on stage talking about uh, the apps that we developed for Facebook so it was it was a completely different time and uh, I think at that time we had positioned the company as social entertainment.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: So everything was sort of new.
0: Yeah. I mean, they grew, I mean, Slide grew to just over 150 million. Is that correct? Yeah. Was there anything in particular during that time you were there that you saw kind of like move the needle significantly? I mean, with social apps or social products, you know, it usually is some kind of, I guess, some viral coefficient or something that just takes it off. Do you know what that was for Slide?
1: I think it... It was that uh, it was the the power of the platform and power of the social platform in particular that was very clear at that time and it was only I think I would say it was very early stages of that happening and we see it's very common today but uh, it was very early on back then and uh, just the um, the potential for that um, that digital word of mouth. Um, you know, friends telling friends and, uh, taking, you know, certain little mini actions and having, uh, your product get discovered, uh, from there. So it, it went, it spread extremely quickly, um, these apps on the Facebook platform back in the day. But the, uh, the downside of that is when you are reliant on other platforms, they can also, um, you know, if they change their business model or decide not to allow third parties or, or something, then there's a downside to that because, you know, suddenly if you're too reliant on that, it could uh, completely um, have a negative impact on your business overnight.
0: Yeah, and we see that, we see Facebook being responsible for that every other day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, they just exactly. change the ca- algorithm and publishers are dead. Um, yep. It's, it's horrible. So I guess, so Slide, do you feel like Slide managed to miss that by not being dependent or was there still an element of dependency on any one platform?
1: I think it was too dependent and um, ultimately I think the the outcome was uh, less than what uh, less than what we had expected um, at the time and definitely from the beginning um, but again it was very early stages of this social media um, apps, growth and uh, we just, I mean, no one knew what was going to happen. Mm. Um, So yeah, I do think it was uh, too dependent at the time.
0: And was there focus on revenue at the company or was it more?
1: No, it was really, it was really focused on growth. Um, A lot of companies these days are still focused on growth, but I think because there is so much more, I guess, critical mass of companies that have been there and done that and other entrepreneurs that um, teach new entrepreneurs uh, best practices. Uh, they can avoid some of the common pitfalls, but, um, but yeah, I would I would say it's, uh, you know, it, it definitely has its challenges.
0: Yeah, for sure. And so then when slide was acquired by Google, you went off and, um, joined Scribd. Yeah. What does Scribd do?
1: When I joined Scribd was a document upload and sharing site. So you would upload your college thesis or, um, an essay that you wanted to write and it was, uh, Um, shared and there was a community of people who who wanted to share and download and and write their own. Um, It was very innovative at the time because the the technology didn't really exist to upload I guess uh, primarily pdf content uh, at the time and other word documents and have it be discovered and shareable in a massive kind of way but because the the technology was so good, both on the SEO side as well as the HTML5 side. And that was also early days of HTML5. Mm. Um, Script was able to amass an audience of more than 90 million MAUs uh, fairly quickly. Wow. Um, the company has since pivoted to becoming more of a um, an e-reader. Um, so it was starting that process when I was there. Um, so Sorry, not an e-reader. Uh, it's more of a, an e-reading app. So you can read e-books, um, you can listen to audio books, you can uh, read documents and also upload and share documents, uh, news magazines. It's basically just a um, digital reading app.
0: Mm. So it's like a, a Kindle? <laughs>
1: It's it's like a Kindle but without the device and you can right. read on pretty much um I think pretty much any any device but uh, it's more of uh, the content um versus the um hardware.
0: Right. And so with Scribd you said SEO played a, a big role in terms of how they acquired users. Was there anything that you brought over from Slide to Scribd? Um obviously you know up until this point you've had so much exposure to consumer products from a marketing perspective, I mean, I mean, when when you come into this organization, I guess what was the one thing that you said? Okay, we need to change, or we need to start doing X. Mm-hmm. Is it? Can you remember anything that that you can think that moved the needle?
1: Um, one thing is I have really bad memory, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I try. And I don't. I I don't know. I can't really think of anything off the top of my head on that one. Frankly, I think the one of my. Biggest learning is always not only going from, you know, one company to another, but just having just maturing more in general in the industry and working with dozens of startup founders is learning how to work with different founders, um, honestly, in a way that is effective. Um, And I think that's that's one of the hidden Kind of requirements and uh, talents that are required to be successful um, mm. in a startup is um, how do you navigate the um, uh, the different personalities and and working with different founders yeah. in a way that you know gets gets the job done.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. So you think that's. I mean, yeah, it it makes a lot of sense in terms of each founder has its, have their own kind of narcissistic way, (laughs) if you will, of doing certain things and they have this kind of belief. So it's all about adapting to them. Do you find that that can be difficult at times because you, you come in with your own kind of, I guess, formula and approach to certain things. Do you find there's a lot of friction sometimes with some of the things you want to bring into organization?
1: Um, yes, definitely. I mean, when I first met Trip Badler, the founder of Scribd, he was 22 years old. So and I was already, I don't know, I want to say 40. Um, so I had had a lot of professional experience and yeah. Trip had none. So yeah. that's that's also not uncommon. Uh, so you not only have a lot of uh, professional experience in the, the job function that you were hired to, to oversee, but you also have just a lot more life experience in general. So you find that um, a lot of your job is not only in the job of, Uh, marketing or operations or whatever it is but it's also um, hand-holding the CEO in a lot of ways and Mm -hmm. teaching uh, them about um, just things that have maybe nothing to do with the job itself so for instance um, I remember in the early days of Scribd I took trip shopping and we went to Saks and I helped him pick out a outfit that was much better suited for him and he you know formally was you know prior to that he was dressing very sloppily <laughs>
0: And he just,
1: like he's, he's a good looking guy and I'm like Trip, uh, okay we need to do better than this you're a spokesperson you're great and you're going to be out there and you need to kind of look the part so That is, I I feel like it was kind of a big turning point for him in a lot of ways. So yeah, that's the, those are the other things that you wind up doing in a startup, especially with very young founders that are kind of unexpected.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's definitely not in the CMO uh, job description, is it? (laughs) No. That's so funny. But
1: you do what you got to
0: do. You do what you got to do. No. And then, so obviously then you moved into, uh, is it Vicky? Am I pronouncing it right? Yes. Vicky. So Vicky, another kind of consumer facing product with millions of users. Um, how did that role come about?
1: That was also a introduction from an advisor company at Vicky at the time. Um, and Rosnig, the founder of Vicky, he wanted to, um, he needed a, a, a COO, CMO, to help him uh, just partner with him to operate the business and um, take over the, definitely the marketing function, the community development function, because Vicky is a video streaming company, sort of like a a global version of a Hulu. Yeah. Uh, So international, you know, streaming content, uh, but their model is having their community of viewers that um, that subtitled the content in dozens of languages, so that you can kind of like spread spread the availability and access of the content, you know, worldwide. So um, yeah, so I, I was very intrigued by Vicky because of the international footprint and because it was video. Mm. Um, <clears throat> And at that time, video was uh, really starting to take off in kind of different ways. Um, and this was kind of a unique way to um, to approach uh, video long form, uh, professionally produced. But there was a lot of other uh, video types on the site, too. So, yeah, that's that's why I was kind of drawn to to Vicky.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. And as a CMO and a COO, I mean, those are two very big roles. How did you yeah. find the balance between the two?
1: I think in a startup, um, it's just par for the course that you do, you wear multiple different hats. That's what founders do all the time. They wear um, many, many hats. And at various stages of the company, you focus on different aspects of the business. So I was very much used to that. Um, And one success in one area leads to success in another area. And I would say that If the company is not operating properly, if the company is not communicating and executing properly, then nothing else matters. So if you are in charge of the marketing function, if the other things are not in place, then then it it really doesn't matter what you do. So uh, in reality, it was actually really good that uh, both at... um, at Biggie and at, at uh Fixart now, um, I oversee both functions. So because I have more direct control over um fixing things, uh for hmm. lack of a better word. Yeah. To to work better.
0: No, no, I, I totally see. And um obviously you led the company to acquisition. And I think, you know, at that time, was that the best solution at the time? Was that the best um I guess avenue to take the company down
1: you know i think the the Vicky was acquired by rock which is a um a e-commerce giant in japan yeah uh but a lot of people don't know that rock has owns dozens of independently owned subsidiaries around the world and uh that's in multiple different businesses uh, one of the core areas of focus for rock at the time was in content mm. so um and and uh so Vicky was kind of an interesting part of their strategy to help make content go global. Um, and I think because Viki was such an international company and so much of the content was from Asia, there was a, and, and also uh, Rosmig as a, uh, not a typical, I guess, stereotypical uh, American founder. He's very international minded. The team was very international. So I think the culture fit with Rakuten at the time was really good. And it made a lot of sense. So, as as in anything, whether you are hiring for uh, an employee or an executive, or considering an an acquisition or M and A, culture fit matters so much, and that determines um, everything. In in some cases, so uh, culture fit for for me and for Rosme, the founder at the time, was uh,
0: was a big consideration. Interesting. Sometimes I. Um... I don't know, I don't know if I like the term culture fit. I mean, obviously now, you know, diversity in tech is such a huge debate that's being had and it's about time. Do you find that culture fit can sometimes I guess with your experience as well as being a non white male, um <laughs> non not even a non white full stop as as a woman, do you do you find that culture fit can sometimes hinder or stand in the way of hiring great people? And, um, and, and who determines what the culture is?
1: Yeah, that's true. So I think that um, at the end of the day, probably it probably, it trickles from the top down. So you're the founder, CEO, executive team, it trickles down from there. So there is a basis of a culture at any company, no matter how big or small you are. Uh, But I do think it is extremely important. And the reason why I think it's even more important now than I did back then is because I have experience with two companies in a row that were started by non-American founders. Um, And interestingly, they're both armenian ethnically armenian founders um so I, I somehow seem to be developing this expertise of working with armenian founders but <laughs> um anyway um so especially in an environment where you have not only uh people of diverse backgrounds but international you throw international on top of it it's extremely important yeah. and uh Because whether you are smart and capable, skilled, competent at your job, uh, even if you're the best at your job, if you can't get things done in that particular environment, it doesn't matter. That's why culture fit is so important.
0: Yeah, no, no, that's that's so true. I want to switch gears a little bit now, uh, Tammy, and and talk a bit more in a general sense in terms of startups. So you have a number of years working in consumer-facing products. So is there a formula or is there kind of like, I guess, key or core competencies um, or core attributions, if you will, that go into creating a viral social product? And if they are, what are they?
1: Um, I think as the core... Um, is if you have a great product market fit, um, then the rest is relatively easy. Um, one of the reasons why I was particularly interested in Pixart is because Pixart has grown to more than 100 million um, users uh, monthly, organically, purely organically. Um, and what that means is essentially there's a great product market fit. It means that there are users who really like and value the service at, fundamentally, yeah. Um, and surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, because you've been around and have seen uh, the evolution of, of different startups, that, that it's actually not very common, especially at the scale when you get to, you know, 100 million plus at that scale. It's, it's not, it's, it's uncommon. Yeah. So I think at the core, if you do have a great product market fit, that's a really, really great starting point. Um, that also gives you probably what a lot of companies envy, which is that viral distribution, that viral potential.
0: Uh,
1: so if, if you can take that really great product that people love and figure out, you know, what is that, um, so, um, that just kind of like leads to the, the viral word of mouth, because if someone likes a product then they will tell their friends, um, Offline and these days it's amplified online because of social media. So there's that. And then, uh, but because the cycles of business are so short these days uh, that you have to sort of, uh, in order to be competitive, you have to grow and compete in a matter of years rather than decades, where it used to be decades. Mm. You know, you build a company over decades and now it's, you have to prove yourself and you have to be sustainable over years and in some cases even months if you're looking at china for example um, so it's and then it's figuring out on top of that what is that growth engine viral is great but can you sustain yourself on that viral growth mm. it's does paid user acquisition make sense does uh influencer marketing make sense does uh, you know uh strategic partnerships so it's it's evaluating what makes sense for your particular phase of growth and uh, and for your particular product at that at that moment
0: no yeah i i totally agree with that and with regards to pixar growing to 100 million which is an insane number organically what does organically mean in this case because i've heard some founders say things were organic and then it turns out they you know invested heavily in a really good seo team so the company grew organically but ultimately it was seo Um, and some people can't do that or some people don't know to do that. So was organic is organic in this situation. We put something out and people loved it.
1: I would say organic is non paid. So whatever it is that you're doing with a product, whether it's just the core product itself, or I wouldn't even include SEO in there. I mean, every company these days, I mean, you have to be SEO. That's, that's SEO, ASO. It's, that's pretty basic. Um, but I would say it's, it's non-paid, meaning I mean, in the case of Pixar, it grew, um, I would say, in large part because um, the product itself is uh, exists in a moment of time that is it's, it's a great timing, first of all. And secondly, it's a really um, great innovative product, and it's um, obviously serving a market need. But with regard to the timing part, I would say, I mean, increasingly millennials, Gen Z, they are communicating very visually. Uh, so so the the future of communication. Well, actually, the origin of communication is visual. Um, so it's kind of you know coming back to that. I mean, I have a fourteen and fifteen year old kids, and they communicate by photos and stickers and memes and and videos. Um, they're they're very rarely typing words. Yeah. Um, so this this is so Pixar is sort of at the center of all of that happening. I mean it's It's another reason why obviously Instagram is uh, huge and, and growing very quickly right now it's it's just this this visual medium
0: yeah no i I totally agree and i and I see you know I think video has has moved that a bit forward as well and we're gonna be moving away i guess from images soon to more videos and gifts yeah. and and short clips. Mm-hmm. And so, I guess for startups as well in in the early days, I guess other than finding product market fit, which is obviously extremely important, once you found product market fit, are there any kind of core principles again that can be applied to a consumer facing product?
1: Um, core principles. Can you give me a? Can you give me an example?
0: Or so, let's think of a, a tech startup. There, it's another consumer facing app. Um, you know, there's a subscription model built into that they sell let's use my app for example so a men's focus weight loss app right other than creating a good product and a great product are there any kind of standard or mandatory steps that one should take when approaching marketing
1: um i think marketing is one of those things that's a um it's, it's a black hole uh, you can put so much into it and you would still never be done um uh, so I think, especially in, an, in a startup environment, you have to think about what are the marketing levers that are going to give you the highest return um, in, in a short period of time and, and also at that particular moment. So something might be appropriate early on that might not be appropriate later or, or vice versa. So for example, it was appropriate that Pixar really focused on that viral growth, whether that is uh, developing or building maybe social features into the, the core product itself, the sharing features. Um, or something else. It would not have been appropriate to, for the company to have poured millions of dollars into paid marketing early on. It is appropriate for the company to look at it right now. So it really depends on, I would say, primarily the stage of the company. Mm. Um, and looking at all the different levers, but, you know, I mean, just pick, picking here and there what's appropriate when. Um, you don't want to run out of money. You don't want to, uh, uh, you really want to look at that return on investment. Um, And there are different things that are going to be more valuable um, when you're, you know, 10 people versus 100 people versus 500. Absolutely.
0: And I guess obviously you you kind of advise a number of startups. Have you seen any kind of common pitfalls that startups seem to fall into?
1: I think um, one of the common pitfalls is, um, I would say, especially in tech and product driven companies, that they don't involve marketing enough. Or early enough, um, and and I see that a lot. Um, it sort of goes back to the, the I guess the ethos of Silicon Valley just being so tech and engineering driven um, that they're constantly thinking of marketing as growth hacking, mm. um, and growth hacking is what's really going to move the needle. But at the end of the day, because because consumer tech is so much more mature now. Uh, brand matters, uh, positioning matters, um, tone matters, um, and Apple is a really great example of of that. You know, in in tech, having evolved with that always in mind, with the user experience always in mind, with every little touch point being very purposeful and thoughtful. Um, so, I think that increasingly you will see companies that um, take that approach, uh, that holistic approach and incorporating marketing very, you know, smartly uh, throughout the process will be uh, more successful over time.
0: Yeah. No, that, that, that makes a a lot of sense. And, and I wanted to ask, um, I wanted to go back to, you know, again, like I mentioned earlier, being a woman in tech um, and obviously like with diversity being at the helm of many conversations right now, what advice do you have for women in the room that tend to sometimes be the only women in the room?
1: Um, (laughs) The good thing about being a woman in tech in general, I would say, um, is that uh, the tech industry tends to be very result driven and result oriented. So if you can prove yourself to be very capable and skilled and uh, valuable uh, in, in a company, then uh, it, it uh, doesn't. Matter for the most part, um, so that's that's what's what's great, and because you know it's an industry that's relatively young, and there's it's um, uh, there's a talent shortage, especially for very specific types of talent. So that's that's really all great for women. Uh, the other thing that has been great for women, and it's been my experience also, is working with young entrepreneurs. And even though you know you know I talked earlier about some of the challenges that go along with that, uh, they don't have preconceived notions already about what it is to work with women, or they're just, you know, younger generationally. So they just are not as, um, I guess, stodgy kind of in mm. their approach. So that's, that's, that's great. Um, as far as what I've seen, um, I've, I've mentored dozens of, of people, young people, and mostly women over the last 25 years. And, one of the things that I have noticed about women that they tend to do more than men, for example, is that they are more likely to run away. Um, so they, <laughs>
0: what? <laughs> yeah, they're more likely to run away
1: in the face of of uh, challenge. So they will say, you know, I I, I don't I don't want to deal with this, and I'm going to move on, or I'm I'm moving on. Um, And, you know, oftentimes that happens, and I even did this early in my career, oftentimes that happens in the face of uh, confronting or working with uh, men in particular who are really, uh, from their perspective, they're aggro, they're aggressive, they are, uh, you know, it's a style that I think a lot of women are not used to uh, Mm -hmm. addressing head on. So they have a tendency more so to, yeah, like I said, sort of run away instead of addressing head on, fighting, arguing, rolling up their sleeves, getting in there. So that's one of the things that I do often counsel women is, no, don't run away. Just stay and fight and make your argument. And it is not personal. And the guy, you know, who's uh, sitting across the table from you, it's not personal for him. Don't make it personal for you.
0: That's that's actually very good advice. Uh, so women stop running away. Basically, that's what I took from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. I want to work towards uh, wrapping up now, Tammy, and ask a few rapid fire questions that I ask all guests that come on the show. So, what has been or who has been your biggest inspiration to date?
1: Um, in general, or in in the startup in, space?
0: We can go in the startup space. Let's keep it specific.
1: okay. You know, one of the entrepreneurs that I think is so great, and he's extremely well respected, is Reed Hoffman. Hmm. Reed Hoffman, I think, is an example of someone who is not only a brilliant person and a brilliant entrepreneur, very successful in business, but he's very well known to be humane. Humane. He's he's a nice guy, and he's um, you know, so he's he sort of does it all, which in this environment where I think it's, it's still kind of, uh, at least in, in some places, it's kind of a broke culture or it's, um, uh, you know, super aggressive culture. Um, uh, mm. that's, I think, uh, a little bit rare, um, that you can, you know, see that. So I, I really think Reed Hoffman is, is great. Um, as far as just in general, um, okay, this may sound a little corny, but, uh, my husband has been <laughs> extremely, I, I love him. He's amazing. He's the, smartest person i've ever met so he's helped me a
0: lot awesome uh favorite podcast well i guess i know what you're gonna say now masters of scale right no
1: now i'm going to say startup hand me down there we go (laughs) yeah but uh i i listen to npr podcasts all the time
0: nice uh and which one in particular uh fresh air Air? i haven't heard that one check it out favorite blog
1: blog okay um, you know, I don't, I, I can't think off the top of my head, uh, favorite blog. Sorry. Next question.
0: Okay. Favorite book. Hmm.
1: Um, <clears throat> you know, lately I've been reading, um, or actually rereading because I have such a bad memory. I have to reread books sometimes. <laughs> um, we, I just, I, um, one of the recent industry books that I've read is Powerful by Patty McCord. Okay. Um, the head of hr from netflix that was really great uh but in general i love uh biographies and our memoirs one memoir that i could think of off the top of my head is running with scissors
0: august burroughs i mm, haven't heard of it I'll, ch- I'll check that out too um a favorite instagram account
1: favorite instagram account um i you know i try to keep my instagram the the, fo- uh, the accounts that i follow to a minimum Um, I actually, so maybe this is a little, maybe controversial considering the space I'm in, but I deleted my Facebook account.
0: What? Um,
1: Yeah, (laughs) I know. I know. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I did that. I I had lots of people that I was following and followed me, but anyway, I won't go into why, but, (laughs) um, but I did, uh, recently get more into, um, Instagram, but I purposefully kept the, my circle of people very limited. Um, So in terms of my favorite Instagram account, even though I just follow the space and what's going on in general and what's trending, in my personal account, my favorite account is my daughter's account. My son actually denied my friend request. Oh, no.
0: (laughs) Ouch. Gosh. yeah okay so your daughters okay that's cool um she's
1: very talented and i, I learn a lot about um just social media best practices from her
0: oh wow, that's cool very talented. um maybe she gave her an internship um yeah what what's one thing you wish you could do that you can't do
1: fly <laughs> <laughs> um okay <laughs> yeah i wish i wish i had some superhero power that's that's what i wish that would be really fun
0: flying one
1: I think I'm just um you know maybe it's the influence of the marvel universe I don't know but I'm really into uh sci-fi fantasy and it would be so great to have some kind of super power nice I
0: agree um what's one piece of advice you would give to your 21 year old self
1: don't run away
0: Ah, so she was speaking from experience before.
1: Yes, yes. Okay, yeah.
0: makes sense now. Um, if you had $100 in your favorite city, what would you spend it on? And where is your favorite city?
1: Um, recently, my favorite city is, I would say, either Tokyo or Helsinki. Um, and I think that the best use of money is experience. And within that, maybe food. <laughs> okay. I <laughs> so would spend it on food.
0: Nice. Uh, what's the one thing that startups should ignore in the early days? <clears throat>
1: um, I think what, what makes a really great entrepreneur is a, uh, someone who can listen to, because uh, listen to all the things that you should do and what you shouldn't do and figure out kind of what is, what is really the right thing to do within that, that environment. Because you constantly have people saying, I would say mostly don't, you know, the, the don't do people. There's a lot of that. Yeah. So um, it's don't listen to the don't do people.
0: Awesome. And finally, um, with I know you, you know, with Pixar, you're now the COO of Pixar, um, and they just released some, you know, incredible news about the new labs that you guys are opening in, in Moscow. So, what's your mm-hmm. vision for the company as you know the new CEO there?
1: Um, I think, as I mentioned before, I really do believe that the the future origin everything about communication is, is really visual. So I think that there's huge opportunity with a company like Pixar. So it really depends right now on what are the directions that we choose to go, because as in any company with limited resources, both people, revenue, etc., or at least you, don't, you want to be smart about it, uh, you have to pick your battles. Um, and uh, because I do think that Pixar has so much more, potential than even the 100 million plus users that we have now, um, what are those battles that we're going to choose? And so we're actually in the process right now of, of um, making those decisions for our next phase of growth.
0: Awesome. And do you, what, what, what does the next phase of growth look like? I mean, you guys have raised quite a lot of money, uh, 45 million the last time I checked. Um, mm-hmm. What does that look like? Going forward,
1: I think that the next phase of growth um, is purposeful, it's, it's growing in the regions and among the audiences that are going to be most impactful, it is proving our revenue model, uh, subscription, we just recently launched and that's growing the, the growth rate on, on subscription side is um, looking really positive. It's how do we exponentially grow from here in a intentional kind of manner. Um, so it's um, you know, how, how do we not stop at a hundred million and how do we go to, you know, two hundred million or three hundred million um uh, and develop a product that is going to be uh lasting and purposeful and um bring more, I guess, peace and levity to the world that right now is kind of struggling. I just read recently a stock market headline that said, stock market going, you know, the Dow Jones uh, plummeting because everyone is afraid of something, which I thought that was a really great headline because it sort of encapsulates what's going on right now in the world and people, there's a lot of fear and and unknown and negativity. And the great thing about Pixar is that it's, it's about exactly the opposite.
0: No, that's, that's awesome. Tammy, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Um, If people want to find you, if you want to be found, uh where can they reach you uh
1: yeah that's a really good question <laughs> <laughs> i i've been in working in the social media space for a really long time and i tried to keep a low social media profile because <laughs> even though i'm watching that space I, I really think that there's a lot of noise out there and there are a lot of uh, better people out there than than me to pontificate on all sorts of subjects so i would say probably linkedin um is
0: the best place to find me okay cool awesome thank you so much for coming on the show Thanks so much. Just want to say another huge thank you to Tammy and the Pixar team for making this happen. I don't know about you guys, but I learned so much from Tammy just now there was just so many levels to so many things that she said. I mean, each point that she made could have been a whole nother topic within itself. Um, But the main thing that I took away from all of that was telling the story of your brand and crafting that story is one of the most important things you could ever do for your company if you want it to succeed. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a review while you're at it. They honestly do go a long way. Also, why not share your favorite episode with one of your friends or on social media? Until next time, guys, keep grinding.